Welcome to the Edge Podcast, your home for recruiting news and team analysis inside the Oregon State Beavers football, basketball, and baseball programs. BeaversEdge.com is the authority on all things Oregon State athletics. Now, here's your host, BeaversEdge.com editor, Mike Singer. Hey everyone, welcome out to the Edge Podcast. My name is Mike Singer. I'm the editor here at BeaversEdge.com and I'm joined by our senior writer. Uh, covers all thing Oregon State Athletics for us and that's Brendan Slaughter. And uh, man, we are in a action-packed time for Oregon State sports right now. Women's basketball, number two seed. Uh, baseball, I believe the baseball team is ranked even as high as number one in the country, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Um, football team, spring games this Saturday. Um, just a lot going on right now in Oregon State Athletics. Uh, let's go ahead and start off talking about the women's basketball team. They're hosting uh, a couple games in Corvallis, well, hopefully a couple games, uh, assuming that they get past Long Beach State. So, Brandon, kind of give us a preview for this weekend. Yeah, no, I'm excited for uh, all of the Beaver's Edge subscribers to read the uh, in-depth article I'll be writing and posting uh, sometime early this or middle of this week, rather. Going to have great analysis and breakdowns of you know where Oregon State could end up and you know, Mike, uh, this is now our third podcast, I believe, and it's been just awesome so far. So thanks for everyone for listening and jumping onto the Edge podcast. It's been a great time so far. You mentioned Long Beach State, and then the, they would play the winner of Creighton Toledo. Uh, it's an intriguing couple games because, you know, you never know what to expect, Mike, as a team coming in as a 15 seed like Long Beach State. They come as a 15 seed. You know, 15 seeds have won before. I'm not saying it's impossible. Like, you know, it's not a 16 seed, like a one seed. Well, that's never happened before. But, you know, Oregon State, again, if they take care of business, they play their game, and they should route Long Beach State. Last year they were a two seed, played a 15 seed Troy Trojans. They won by 38 points. I mean, there's just they there needs to kind of be that sense of dominance that they had last year. They ride that. I can see this team riding themselves all the way. I mean, heck, they could ride if they played their kind of basketball. I wouldn't be surprised if this team had a shot at a Final Four or a berth in the national championship game, given that UConn's on the opposite side of the bracket as them. Now, you mentioned the that the 15 seeds have beaten twos in the past, but I feel like there's more of a disparity between a top seed and a lower seed in women's basketball as in men's basketball. There might not be as much. Do you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that because you. You really, Mike, look no further than uh, uh, the conferences. You look at a conference at the Pac-12, right? Every team in that conference this year was good. You go to a, a conference like uh, the Atlantic 10 where UConn was. You go to a conference like the SEC. Yeah, there's two or three good teams. The rest are just so-so. Pac-12 is the best conference in women's basketball, hands down, bar none. That's why they're the number one RPI conference. And that's why I think Oregon State is well-handled and well-equipped to make a deep run because they played the best of the best. And, you know, with the exception of UConn, they're probably ready to take on anybody in the entire country. And that's where I say, you know, sure, Long Beach State won the Big West, but who else in the Big West except for maybe Long Beach State and one other team are halfway even close to competing with a Pac-12 team? No disrespect. It's just a talent disparity, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. So after, I mean, just assuming that Oregon State does come up on top uh, after playing Long Beach State, uh, Oregon State will play the winner of the Creighton and Toledo matchup. Um, I'm sure you'll get to watch 
um, that game, and uh, you know you'll be able to report on the the Beaver Central premium message board at beaversedge.com. But what do you what do you think about those two teams? Um, you know, w- what have you seen from them? Just kind of doing research on them. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't done a whole lot of research on uh, Toledo. I know a little bit about Creighton, um, what they've been able to accomplish. Toledo, I'm still a little uh, a little sketchy on, so to speak, and <laughs> probably won't dive too much into them until unless Oregon State or unless uh, they do indeed beat Creighton. It'll be interesting to see because you know last year the Beavers uh, played Saint Bonaventure, who was a, I believe a seventh seed as well. It was the higher seed of the two, and um, the Beavers handled. Uh, the Bonnies pretty pretty well on their way to their Sweet 16 berth. You know, it's interesting and intriguing because that second game is more of a challenge because I'm not, again, no disrespect to Long Beach State, but, you know, you have to have a pretty massive implosion to lose to a 15 seed. And unless that 15 seed in women's basketball comes in just a blazing, you have a bad night. You know, you're usually in pretty good shape. I look, though, for Creighton to win that game only because Creighton has a really good um, program. They have a couple good guards. I really like what they bring. But Long Beach State's intriguing for one reason, and that's because Long Beach State does something very well that the Beaver that might be the Beavers' Achilles heel this year, and that's length and pressure. Long Beach State forces almost 20 turnovers a game. Oregon State, you look at their worst loss in the season, that was the USC Trojans who didn't even make the field of 64 and they turned the ball over a lot and got upended in Gill Coliseum. Granted, that was a Pac-12 game. The Beavers responded, but Oregon State's going to have to take care of the basketball, and they're going to have to play great, sound defense uh, to beat both Long Beach State. And then I, I would, I'm leaning more towards Creighton. I've done more research on them. I think Creighton's the stronger team, and I think that could be a great matchup. But the or the edge, so to speak, has to go to Oregon State because there's nothing like home cooking, Mike. Having two games in your house, especially on a Friday and Sunday. Beaver Nation is going to be out there supporting Oregon State heads da- or hands down. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like uh, Oregon State can get away with sleepwalking against Long Beach State. Um, lots to talk about on the Edge podcast today. Um, football, baseball, questions from the message board at the end of the podcast. After this segment with Brendan Slaughter, uh, we actually have a, a pretty special guest, I feel like. <laughs> um, he is the, uh, the coach at the TMP Mafia 7-on-7 team. And um, Oregon State has uh, four 2017 signees from the TMP Mafia that uh, you know played for them. So that's going to be really exciting. Uh, you guys are going to really like that interview, learn more about some of these uh, Oregon State signees. Let's move into quick men's basketball talk. Um, obviously, Oregon State is uh, not not in the field of 68. No, nope. but. Still a lot of uh, a lot of intrigue. Uh, we have a tournament challenge at BeaversEdge.com. The winner gets right. a free month added to their subscription. So I have the bracket in front of me right now. So, uh, Mike, what ha- what happens if, if I win? Do I just get extra extra subscription just because? Well, it's more of what happens if I win <laughs> because uh, I think everyone knows that my bracket's going to win. Uh, I'm just going to go through. I'm looking at the bracket right now. I you, did... mean your one, you mean your one bracket, Mike? Get on my level. You know... I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot because I wanted to bring this up. I am a one-bracket kind of guy. Um, I'm a one-fantasy football league kind of guy. I don't See, believe in having multiple fantasy football leagues because it's just too much, you know. Then you're rooting for some people and rooting against some people on Sundays. It's just, it's just way too much. So I'm a one-bracket kind of guy as well. Um, I, I just think 
Brendan, you fill out 25 brackets. I don't think you're going to win the a million or billion dollars or whatever it is for the tournament challenge. Either way, what are the odds? Well, probably not very high. I'll have 25 men's and 25 women's brackets with any, uh, with any luck. All righty. So uh, just looking at the bracket, finally going to talk about this real quick. Thought you interrupted me. <laughs> I, I do have Iona over Oregon. I do. Um, yeah, okay. Do I know much about Iona? I do not. Do I know much about Oregon? Yeah, kind of. So I'm taking um, Iona. All right, I'm taking Iona. Um, I, this is a blank bracket I'm looking at, all, so I don't remember all of my picks. I do have North Carolina cutting down the nets over Duke, which Ooh. I think will be a fantastic national championship, having you know that rivalry, them playing four times. Um, I have uh, Florida Gulf Coast. The, uh, I believe they're a 14 seed over Florida State, three seed. That's one I'm excited about. Don't think it's going to happen, but I, I picked it. Um, I usually take all 12s over fives just because. And um, I think I only have like one one seed advancing, and that's just North Carolina. I think all my other seeds I have in the Final Four are Kentucky, Arizona, and Duke. You got any good stuff in your 25 brackets? You probably picked uh, every available game that you uh, well- that you could. Well, the intriguing thing is, in the Beaver's Edge premium subscribers are going to hate me, but uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm all about. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing what the Pac-12 teams can do, specifically the Oregon Ducks, because man, the uh, the Ducks are the real deal. Even without Chris Boucher who tore his ACL, uh, I mean, I just can't. I mean, personally, this is my own bias because I want the Portland Trailblazers to draft Dylan Brooks this year and have Dylan Brooks be the missing link for the Portland Trailblazers, but that's a whole different podcast conversation. I like the I like Oregon, I love Arizona, and I love UCLA. I have UCLA going quite far. At one point in the bracket, I have them upsetting Kentucky. I have Arizona running, running their way through their bracket, knocking off Gonzaga. And I have the Ducks going, I think, to the Elite Eight as well. So I'm just all on that Pac-12 bandwagon this year, Mike. Uh, my biggest upset, I think, is in, let's see, in one of my brackets, I have... One of the 25. Uh, that's fair. No, the the most reoccurring one that I have. I think it's a 12-5 or an, it's 11-4. I'm not sure. Um, 11-6. You're, yeah, 11-6, rather. It's uh, Nevada over Iowa State. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a sexy that, pick, if you will. Yeah, that that's my... I really, really like Cameron Oliver at Nevada if you didn't know, was a uh, Oregon State signee at one point and didn't quite make it. Uh, definitely would have helped out Wayne Tinkle's squad if he got into school because he's going to be an NBA player next year, and he's been leading Nevada, the Wolfpack, pretty far, and I really like Nevada this year. Uh, actually, I was watching the the uh, Selection Sunday show, and Seth Greenberg actually has the Arizona-UCLA National Championship game. Ooh, and I'll tell you what, that. that south bracket with North Carolina, Kentucky, and UCLA, I mean, UCLA is a three, is a... Uh, one of the fa- you know probably top ten obviously top ten but you know probably what top six or seven uh, national championship favorites. I mean, uh, if if Lonzo Ball's dad can keep his mouth shut, they could probably <laughs> they could probably make it to the national championship, Mike. Uh, let's get back into some more Oregon State talk. I feel like we might be losing a few listeners just talking about all this uh, random men's <laughs> basketball stuff, but um, probably. Uh, I mean, other than the women's basketball uh, tournament this weekend. Uh, football is very important right now um, with spring yes, football going yes, on. I'm writing a story this week on uh, 
the five guys to watch, to really keep an eye on that either redshirted last year or weren't on the team or just didn't make much of an impact. So far, I have Key Wetzel and uh, Hamilkel Rashed. And uh, my number three, I'm, we're, record, we're recording this Tuesday night. By the time this is posted uh, Wednesday morning, I'll, I may or may not have this art, uh, the number three guy. Spoiler, it's Christian Wallace. I'm definitely keeping an eye on him. Uh, another redshirt freshman that I think is going to really prove to himself this spring and I think is, is going to do well this fall, maybe even get, get himself in the starting spot. Who are some of the guys that you're looking at in that situation? It just for guys that you think are gonna that I think are gonna step up that are young guys. Yes. Uh, well, you really took the words out of my mouth. I think Christian Wallace. He uh, is gonna be definitely someone I look at uh, in some later parts of our questions from the subscribers on Beaver's Edge. Uh, Wallace, I really like. Um, even though he's not on campus yet, I really am intrigued by the two running backs that Oregon State's bringing in this year. Okay. Um, Calvin Tyler and uh, B.J. Baylor, I think it is. Yep. Or, yeah, yeah. So. I really like those two guys. I'm, they bring a different dimension in terms of running backs that Oregon State doesn't have, some quick scat backs and stuff. Those guys are intriguing. I think maybe one of them could play right away. And then, um, man, I mean, I said it today, and the, the Edge subscribers are probably calling me a broken record, but Isaiah Hodgins, I mean, it's not even a question. I mean, Hodgins, right now, if you said, Brendan, pick a lineup, he's starting in my book. Again, Who are the other I, two guys if we're going three wide? Is Seth Collins healthy or no? Yeah. So it's Isaiah Hodgins, Seth Collins, Hunter Jarman, or Jordan Milliman. Okay, so then you would take out if Collins isn't ready to go, which I I mean, I think he's not going to – it's looking like he's not going to play this fall, right? Is that kind of where you're leaning? You know, it's it's, I'm not sure, Mike, because only because, you know, I saw him again during the scrimmage. And as as, – in terms of like, I guess – Health-wise, you know, when I, when I saw him in Civil War, he just looked, you know, just as bad as can be, very, you know, mm-hmm. just not healthy. He looks like he's a football player again, if that makes sense. He sure. has some upper body strength. His body physique is like it was before. So do I know if he's going to play? No. What I, I mean, if you had to ask right now, I can't even make a 50-50 guess because I, we just don't know the information. With that being said, however, it's a long time until August yeah. when fall camp starts. Actually, Mike, with the Colorado State game now being moved up early, the Beavers will actually open fall camp the last week in July. So, holy cow, folks! Fall camp going to be starting early this year. Yeah, so, I mean, even the I mean, spring practice started so early as well. But I definitely hope you're right on Seth Collins. I mean, we really, as media members, haven't received much information on Seth Collins other than uh, he seems to be doing okay. But definitely wish. Uh, the best luck for him, and that he will um, get on the fall this or get on the field this fall. Um, let's quickly talk about the quarterbacks. I'm sure we'll get into that with the, our questions from the message board. But uh, you were at practice on Tuesday. Uh, what did you see there from the QBs? Um, today, I think was uh, as I put in my practice report, Mike. Today, I think belonged to the defense. Um, you know, obviously, I'm high on Jake Luton. I like him a lot, and I think he's going to be the starting quarterback at some point uh, this season. Uh, but even he and the rest of the quarterbacks, uh, they weren't on their A game today. Uh, the defense played well. Defensive line and linebackers got great pressure, collapsed the pocket, forced the quarterbacks to roll out either against their body or with their body, forcing several incompletions, several interceptions. Um, the interceptions coming uh, from Dale Garrison, rather. So, I mean, I think personally, 
Um, Jake Luton, again, as I broken record, is still going to be the guy. You know, I asked Kevin McGiven today, the offensive coordinator, if he had a timeline on it, and he said we'll talk about it later with a big old smile on his face. Again, I, if it's if Brendan Slaughter is quarterbacks coach at Oregon State, it's really a race right now to see who's going to be Luton's backup because I think Luton's just been the uh, um, most consistent, right? Yeah, most consistent and. He's been able to do things Oregon State hasn't had the last two years, Mike, and that's throw the deep ball. Seems like something Garrett Garrettson in particular struggled with. I think running the ball of the three, I think Garrettson is the best, and we definitely saw that in the Cal game, but um, he, he doesn't seem to throw the ball well downfield. McMarion seems to do both okay, but Luton's decently mobile and definitely has the strongest arm of the group. Um, well, so, that- that's the thing you mentioned is, you know, Luton's mobile, Mike, and you mentioned the thing that's intriguing to me about Luton being mobile is, like, you know, you look at Luton's physique, right, and he's either 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, depending on, you know, how tall he is, and I say that with a funny grin because sometimes he slouches a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, Oregon State fans, Mike, before, you know, you were covering this team, think instantly of Oregon State and Pac-12 leading or passing leader in career yard, Sean Mannion. And that's a fair comparison in terms of physique, but Sean Mannion wasn't a runner. Jake Luton can tuck it and run more like a uh, more like a Travis Wilson could this last uh, if he was the quarterback for Utah the last couple of years. Six foot five guy, but could also move. And when he got moving, he was a real tough guy to bring down. So Oregon State fans need to know that just because they may go with Luton, the zone read game is not gone by any means. And if you have a guy like Seth Collins in the mix. You know, maybe you put Seth Collins at Wildcat. You know, there, there's just a lot. And he still has an arm for when he was quarterback. So there's a lot of different things you can still work into. But if I had to say, I think Jake Luton will be the guy in the fall. I really do. I, I was a little disappointed that Collins didn't uh, throw the ball very much in, I in 2016. I thought that uh, at some points he, he was probably even the best option at quarterback last season. Uh, let's just quickly wrap up this uh, football talk uh, before we get into our next interview expectations for the spring game do you think it's going to be defense heavy do you think Luton's going to shine um what what do you expect and do you think Nall will get a lot of reps you know what, what are kind of your expectations I you know it's hard to say because you know um for those that have read the report from today I talked to McGiven and he said keeping guys healthy is going to be key I know it might hurt Anderson to take reps away from his guys but like I said before Anderson has said this in the perfect way possible Ryan Nall's not focused. He, he, he told Ryan, he said, we don't want you to be good. We don't want you to be great. We want you to focus on being elite. And right now, for Ryan Nall to be elite, that dude does not need any hits on his foot slash ankle or any hits on his body at all that would cause him to have any injuries lingering into fall camp or spring. I would expect Ryan Nall to get very limited reps, if any, I think that goes the same for guys like Manasseh Hnalu, Brandon Arnold, um, maybe even Pierce. I'm to think. Maybe even Pierce, right? Yeah, I mean, with Oregon State really having two established running backs, you might have a point there. I believe that so, first scrimmage, it was mostly Bailey and Yancey that took the the, the reps. I don't believe uh, Pierce took many, if all, many at well, all. Well, yeah, and then even last week's scrimmage, Mike, uh, Pierce ripped off that massive run in the beginning, and Ryan Nall took three or four carries after that. And it was all Jalen Bailey and Kieran Yancey after that. So I think that might be a similar thing. In terms of quarterbacks, McGiven told me today, you're gonna see everything you've seen all spring, what you're going to get. 
You're going to get Luton first, McMarion second, and then Garrettson and maybe Blount third or fourth, depending on how things shake out. I think definitely the thing to watch mainly is the offense. I feel like the defense has high expectations, but I think we know more about the defense who do at the offense at this point, especially since Luton's a much different guy than uh, the three quarterbacks that played last year. Uh, let's talk quickly about baseball. Um, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, ranked as high as number one, and I believe ranked, ranked as a um, ranked at Collegi- around four or five yeah. at, at at some polls. But so, yeah, Colle- collegiatebaseball.com has the Beavers one. ESPN coaches poll has Beavers at two. Baseball America has them at four. Perfect Game has them at four, and one poll has them at three. So they're a consensus top four team in the country. But even if you're ranked number one in one poll. You look at Oregon State social media, you can say you're the number one team in the country according to that poll. So that's still pretty cool to say. Big series this weekend against Arizona State and then Arizona the next weekend. Um, I mean, how, how, how much can they keep this up? I mean, 14-1 and one is just an incredible record to start. Yeah, I mean, you think about it and they lost to Ohio State, Mike. This team could have very easily been 15-0. Uh, and 0. and they, they ended up beating them that weekend yeah. as well. Yeah, so I mean, they lost that game and they turned around and beat them again. This team very easily, I think, could be 15-0. and And the thing of it is, I was telling you know one of my buddies earlier in the week, Mike, this team doesn't even have two All-American pitchers yet. They don't have the man who threw the perfect game in Oregon State history, Drew Rasmussen, back yet, who you know is still coming off Tommy John surgery last year. But Rasmussen threw a perfect game his freshman year and is arguably Oregon State's best and best uh, pro prospect when healthy. And you also don't have your uh, All-American closer, Mitch Hickey, yet. So if it's even possible to think this team could be better in like a month and like a little under a month. So that's a scary thought. And then this team, Mike, reminds me a lot, a lot of the 2013, 2014, two teams Oregon State had where Oregon State had incredible pitching arms, guys like Ben Wetzler, Jace Fry, Andrew Moore, um, you know, Matt Boyd, so on and so forth, established guys just a rock-solid rotation. Closers like Scott Schultz, Max Engelbrecht was even on those teams as well. And then they have a couple dominant bats. It was Dylan Davis and Michael Conforto back then. Now it's K.J. Harrison. Even Adley Rutschman's looking great. K, uh, Christian John- Donahue's looking good. Oregon State, might this might be the deepest team that I can remember in my lifetime, and that is maybe including the 06 and 07 national championship teams. This team is deep at every position, and man, I mean, if they play their cards right, the I mean, the sky's the limit for this squad. We might be seeing them in Omaha. It's just scary to think about how good that pitching has been, and it could only could get better um, yeah. from here. All right, joining us now on the Edge Podcast is uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Terrence Leonard, aka Coach T, over at TMP Mafia Seven on Seven Team in Northern California, and Oregon State signed four guys that played. Uh, on the TMP Mafia 7-on-7 team, uh, quarterback Aiden Willard, uh, wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins, and a couple of defensive backs in Trajan Cotton and Isaiah Dunn. Um, Coach T, kind of talk to us about the, uh, the the TMP to Corvallis movement. You know, how real has that been? Hey, it's been it's been truly real. Um, it's been a lot of respect for over the years with, with uh, Oregon State, and, you know, it just continued to grow grow by leaps and bounds in the class of 2017 class. We, uh, we started out with our, our satellite camp in the summer and June. 
and they they targeted some guys that they really wanted. Um, initially, we had five guys with the offer, and it's one guy's got their position changed, so that scholarship opportunity didn't didn't pan out. Otherwise, we might have had five guys in the spot. Definitely. So um, the the headliner of that group is Isaiah Hodgins. Uh, I'm sure you know him a lot better than some of us do because you know you got to spend so much time with him. So he's there at Oregon State right now. Um, tell us about his talent. Isaiah Hodgins is a special talent. Um, the the apple didn't fall far from the tree. His dad was a stud when he played college in the NFL, um, and Isaiah Isaiah picked up right where dad left off. Um, his routes are incredible. His catch radius is incredible. He's big and strong. He can run with the best of them. He's not a possession receiver. He can actually take the top off. He's just he's deceptive in his in, in his speed and power. Now I know um, you told me earlier in the week that a couple of your 2018 guys, Isaac Crocker, a four-star receiver, and then Spencer Webb are also um, they're going up with Isaiah Dunn and Trajan Cotton to watch. Um, watch their old buddy Isaiah play in the spring game. Um, you know, you expecting you know a, a great recruiting weekend for your TMP guys up there in Corvallis? Yes, I am. Um, I'll be out there as well. But there's actually going to be about four or five of them. There's a corner a cornerback, um, Dylan Wyatt, coming down from St. Mary's at Berkeley. <clears throat> um, we also have Gunnar Falk from Christian Brothers High School in Sacramento transferred by way of Pace Academy State Championship from it, from Georgia. Um, he's been up here for like two or three months, and he's been ripping it up at every tournament we've played in. He's a true special talent. And then we have Spencer Webb, um, big tight end target, who's going to be there, has a lot of offers already. And we have Adonis Forrest, big 6'4 wide receiver from Royal Catholic and Hayward. He's going to be there. Um could be a couple of other guys. I'm not exactly sure. Oh, Isaiah Crocker um, from here at from here at Endercombe High School. He'll be there as well. So things are looking yeah. good. We're going, you know, Team Peter Corvallis is real. Yeah, definitely seems like uh, you know the talent is just keeps flowing there uh, for your seven on seventeen. So we definitely appreciate your quick time uh, coming on the Edge Podcast. I understand you you have some other duties to take care of. So definitely, uh, you know, have a great rest of your day and take care. Yeah, you let me know anytime you need me. I'm open. We love what you guys are doing. We appreciate the time and opportunities to be able to do this. And um, GMP Mafia, we have nine All-Americans over the last four or five years. We hope to have some more. We hope that they're part of the guys that end up at Oregon State. GMP to Corvallis. All right, we're going to move into our question and answer time. Uh, the BeaversEdge.com premium subscribers. I posted a thread for them earlier today, earlier on Tuesday, sorry, and just said, hey, shoot us some questions for the podcast. We actually got some fantastic questions that Brendan and I are really excited excited to tackle. So the first one's coming from Jump Drive. How far will the women's basketball team advance? Yeah, you know, that's 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 an interesting point, Mike, that you bring up. And Oregon State, in my opinion, Mike, I think they got placed for the be- in the best position absolutely possible of all the regionals. Um, Stockton, or the, the obviously they play their first two games in Corvallis, but uh, being placed in Stockton, um, I think they have. You know, I'm not going to say that it's easy, but Oregon State has the easiest path to get to the Final Four of any of the other four regionals. They avoid any Pac-12 team completely. They avoid Baylor. They avoid Notre Dame. They avoid Stanford. Texas, UConn, um, UCLA, Maryland, Duke, 
um, Louisville, Oklahoma, Washington, uh, Mississippi State. Uh, in their bracket, they get South Carolina, who's the one seed, who's the weakest of all the one seeds, in my opinion. Um, they, the fifth seed team is a Marquette team that the Beavers have played or lost to earlier this year, but I'm sure that'll be fresh in their mind. They have a Miami team that's a four seed I'm not super impressed with. Uh, Florida State being a three seed I'm not super impressed with. So Oregon State might be in a great position to win the Stockton Regional, which would put them in the Final Four. And again, being on the opposite side of the bracket is UConn. I like their odds of being able to, if they play their brand of basketball, I'm not going to say it's guaranteed, but I think they have a chance of making the national championship game against the Huskies. Another question from Jump Drive here is, how far will the Pac-12 teams go in the tournament? Pac-12 women? Well, let's see here. The Oregon Ducks are in the the Bridgeport Regional with the UConn Huskies, so I don't think the Ducks will make it too far. No. Uh, UCLA is actually paired, the Los Angeles Regional is paired up with the Stores Connecticut Regional. Uh, good luck to UCLA. They're not going to make it out of there alive. Cal's going to have to play Baylor if they win. I don't like that matchup for the Golden Bears. The Huskies have a tough draw, having to play Oklahoma. I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough it's a tough road. I think Oregon State's going to make it the furthest of all, except for maybe Stanford. Stanford, as we know, is one of the toughest and most perennial teams in the nation. Um, they they play they have a fortuitous path as well. Um, They'd have to eventually maybe run into Notre Dame in the Lexington Regional. But, heck, I could honestly see Oregon State and Stanford maybe facing off in the Final Four, if that's a crazy question. But I, I, think I have that in my bracket, possible. actually, so it's going to happen. That, that, that's what I think there. It's, it's extremely possible. So now, Jump Drive's last question was, uh, who will be the first football recruit? And, of course, he's talking about the first commit of the 2018 class. Uh, we actually tackled this question last week on the podcast, and my answer is still the same. Uh, it's Isaac uh, Isaac Hodgins is uh, Isaiah Hodgins' little brother. He's a defensive tackle, six one two ninety, I believe. Um, I, I don't see there any other reason that uh, he won't end up at Oregon State for all the reasons Isaiah committed and signed with Oregon State with his um, uh, with his great relationship with Coach Baldwin and Coach Baldwin's right. relationship with his dad. Isaac even has a stronger connection when you add on those things, plus his brother's already there. Um, so I think I, Isaac will be the first guy. And if he's not the first guy, it'll just be a matter of time, really, before he does uh, commit to Oregon State. So that's Isaac Hodgins visiting this weekend. Oregon State has a big group of visitors this week. Uh, I wrote an article on Sunday. Uh, it was a Oregon State football recruiting notebook. Uh, in, in that article I, I put in – sorry, go ahead. I, saying, I know you love those notebooks, Mike. That's oh. just you and I. You love them notebooks, folks. Mike Mike always wants me to write notebooks. He loves them. And, and how often do you write the notebooks? Not very often. So you're fired. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> so uh, in that notebook, I have uh, new offers. I talked about the, uh, the, the coaching areas – excuse me, the recruiting areas for the coaches, some recent articles, and then uh, the, the visitors. I mean – Big time recruits coming in. Uh, Isaac Crocker. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Chase Code is coming in. Two four-star receivers right there. I mean, it's a, it's a long list, and Oregon State's really been pumping up this uh, spring game slash junior day recruiting event. So definitely uh, could be even a day where Oregon State gets a couple of commits. You know, maybe a guy like uh, Hodgins commits, and then you know maybe we get um, maybe a big in-state commit. You know, who knows? That will. Uh, It'll definitely be something to, to yeah. watch. 
yeah, just a really big recruiting weekend. I mean, uh, Draco Bynum's coming in. Um, Dawson Jaramillo, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, another four-star offensive lineman. Um, and it's I mean, 2017 signees are coming in. I mean, just a, a real big weekend. Uh, next question is, uh, who is the most physically intimidating player on the team? And that is from JPost12. All right, I'm going to go offense and defense, all right? So defense, hands down, no question, Christian Wallace. Really? That dude is a physical specimen, to say the least. He plays the, he plays the game at 110% every snap, and he's just – He's probably the most built. Like he's like, if you think about it, he's built to play safety, but is quick enough to play corner. So, yeah, he's definitely the most physically intimidating player. When I talk to him for the offense, AP. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. AP got to be Artavis Pierce. I mean, I, I, a case could be made for Ryan Nall, but uh, Artavis Pierce. The minute that I met the guy uh, last year, and Mike, his head, his bicep is bigger than my head. <laughs> like it's close, and, and I, I think, was like, I hey. think Pierce has a higher ceiling than all does. Could he could? I mean, Pierce was, you know, I mean, if I remember correctly, Mike, he wasn't. I mean, I he wasn't like a like a blue chipper coming out of Florida. Yeah, was he? a three star, five point five, which is just the kind of the standard three star rating. I had so some other hump. power five offers, but. Uh, Definitely not a sleeper recruit, but he wasn't like a four-star blue chip. Gotcha. So he's not like not. So he's kind of in between a blue chip and like what a BJ Baylor would be then. Sure. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean Pierce. Obviously, um, I was really pleased. I didn't know what to expect because this was the second. This was the second straight year the Beavers planned on playing a freshman running back out of Florida. The year before it was Deltron Sands, and he turned out to be an incredible bust. Before I believe. I'm not sure if he left or got kicked off the football team in 2015, but Pierce came in, got his stripes taken off his helmet right away in Bend this year, and the dude is just a physical beast, and I'm looking forward to seeing him play this year. Our next question is from BeaverNation56. Uh, it's a question for me. Mike, since you're newer to this rivalry between Oregon and Oregon State, what's your impression of Oregon before you started covering OSU sports, and what's your impression of Gosh. Oregon now? Um since you've been covering Oregon, Oregon State sports for several months now. Uh, so let me point something out. When I started Beaver's Edge, um, what was it, August 31st, um, people weren't too thrilled with having an outsider covering Oregon State. And now one thing that our subscribers tell me they like about me is that I don't have bias. So it's just kind of funny that the thing that people didn't love about me, now they love about me. I, uh, I have not put much thought into this uh, this question. I haven't really thought about it yet, but um, I really didn't have an impression of Oregon before I started covering Oregon State. Um, didn't really uh, didn't really like them or dislike them. Um, but now that I'm covering Oregon State, um, the rivalry is uh, it's pretty intense. Uh, the Beaver fans definitely talk about Oregon a lot and um, they definitely put them under a microscope and every little mishap Oregon has you definitely hear about it at the Beaver Central message board and just the um, the good old fun jokes that the Beaver fans have and the different names they have for Oregon 
I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna get into any of them other than just the good old Ux. That's that's just well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, Mike, that's a fair point. And you know, just to add my quick two cents on this is, you know, um, I grew up here. You know, grew up just outside of Sherwood and grew up with. You know, I guess that makes you know that uh, um, a lot of people in my family are Oregon State fans. Went to Oregon State. You know, all the way up the lineage a little bit. And, you know, I grew up a diehard Oregon State fan. And, you know, I've, I've had to temper that back quite a bit being a reporter now. But, like, you know, uh, growing up, Mike, you know, it's, it was, it's truly almost like blood is thicker than water and lines are drawn in the sand. I mean, I remember growing up, uh, like, it was a Beaver fan or bust. You weren't allowed to like Oregon where I was growing up. I mean, that's just the way it was. And it was a way that it was for a lot of my Oregon fans where it's like, you know, it's either the Ducks or bust. I mean, it really, I mean, it's not like Auburn, Alabama, where families are divided and husbands and wives don't speak for, you know, days on end. It could be in some cases. But this is absolutely a rivalry and you're forced to pick a side. And I grew up always being on the side of the orange and black and, you know, I mean, that's why I was like, you know, I can admit I have a little bit of a uh, little bit of the interesting perspective because my whole family grew up beavers, you know. So I've, like I said, had to tone it back a little bit and all that. But it truly is one of the best rivalries in all college sports, not just football, whether it's basketball, baseball. I mean, especially baseball these days or even heck women's basketball. It's it truly is um, a rivalry. Yeah, and those women's basketball games this year, the Civil War, were fantastic. Both low-scoring, close games. I think there were uh, three points outcome in both of those games. Uh, we have a few questions from Warheeg uh, for you, Brendan. Um, right. The spring game's upon us. Will Brendan be making appearance at our awesome Beavers Edge tailgater? I will be. I'm looking forward to it. i got to get all the pertinent details, but I'll be uh, swinging by and saying hello to you all. So I'll be good to see you guys. So who are going to be the three players that will have the best highlights on Saturday? You know, who are the guys that are going to, uh, you know, just make some big plays? Uh, Isaiah Hodgins is one of mine on the offense. Because he's made big plays in those scrimmages. Yeah, yep. big plays. I think I think he makes one. Um, let's see here. Isaiah Hodgins, I like. I think, heck, I think Kieran Yancey's going to rip off a big run. I think the little five foot five, five foot six guy is going to rip off a big run. I think that'll be my... Uh, uh, my guy that might rip off a cool highlight, uh, see him run away from some guys. And then defensively, I think uh, I think either Andre Hughes-Murray or, man, I'm having a hard time saying his last name, Doug, Tem- I'm, I cannot pronounce his last name. Doug E.T. Doug E.T. All right, so we're going to call him Doug E.T. I really liked him. I don't want to disrespect him by mispronouncing his name, but him at the linebacker position – and then if Manasse plays, Manasse Hunalu is just ooh, I love that guy as well. He's just such an aggressor on the field. Linebacking core is gonna fly all over all over the place and make plays. I can guarantee it this Saturday. I'm gonna give you uh, take this to the bank. Xavier Crawford pick six. That's gonna happen. Ooh, all uh, right. One one player that we uh, don't talk about often. You know, which one will surprise us on Saturday? Consistency that no that we don't talk about nearly enough. Who I think is just gonna be a consistent workhorse. Uh, Sumner Houston at center. Okay. You know, I th- I think we could be making a bigger deal that Oregon State has is playing a, a, a converted defensive lineman to center now at, at or converted defensive lineman now at center, and he's just been cool as a cucumber the whole whole process. And I think he's just going to go through and 
just be surprisingly consistent, get all those snaps to all those quarterbacks, and have no problems. I want to say this. In your practice reports, you don't talk about the offensive line too much, and I think that is a really good thing. Because yeah. if you were writing about Sumner Houston, it would probably be like Sumner Houston can't snap the ball, you know, right. or you know they can't get the passes off because right. you know they're, the, the defensive line and linebackers are in their face right away. So I think that's right. that's definitely an interesting thing that you noted. And our last question for Morheeg was: Are you confident that Jake Luton could protect the ball during his junior college days? Um, definitely threw a lot of interceptions early uh, in 2016, but. During the end of this season, he didn't throw so many interceptions, just a lot of touchdowns. But um, do you th- are you confident that he can protect the ball? Yeah, I really am. Uh, you know, I think Oregon. I think he's. I think he's. Uh, I think he's a. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's very smart and savvy when it comes to quarterback intelligence. And I think he's going to be in a good position. I think he's going to. Obviously, Mike have a who or whoever it is, whether it's him or Dale Garrettson or even Marcus McMarion. Uh, they're going to have a tough, tough task now. Instead of starting with the cupcake known as Portland State, the little bunny as I like to call it, now they got to go to Fort Collins and play Colorado State to open the year early in August. I mean, I guess I say early, but, you know, third week in August. And that's going to be intriguing to see one of these quarterbacks, probably Jake, go out there and play in a hostile environment, a brand new stadium. That's why the game was moved because Colorado State wanted to play a Power Five team in a brand new stadium. And ugh, I mean, it's going to be crazy to see how that whole thing shakes out. But I think if they can give him time, if they can protect him, he will get the ball where it needs to go. So, Brendan, this is a question from Fullweiler. What what's the buzz like on campus right now regarding the football team? Yeah, you know, um, I don't want to definitely, I don't definitely want to go around Fullweiler's question by any means, but uh, I'd say it's an equal buzz between the football team and the women's basketball team right now. Obviously, the men's team didn't have the best season they wanted, and um, they're going to be looking to rebound next year with some big time recruits coming in, and maybe even Malcolm Bavivier coming back for the men's team as well. Um, the buzz around campus right now is all about the women's team and all about the spring game, and most, more than anything, Mike, uh, the buzz right now is about how great of a weekend this is going to be. And the students are uh, excited to be able to have a little bit of something fun this weekend to distract them from uh, uh, or maybe get a little study break from the upcoming finals that are next week. I know a lot of the students have finals next week, and I think more than anything, they're looking forward to two basketball games this weekend and a spring game, jam-packed weekend, and Beaver Sports, if the weather can hold out uh, here in Corvallis, um, that can make for a really fun weekend. I think the buzz is getting better for the – uh, football team obviously um they have they, the student support's been there since coach anderson's been here but all you have to do to get the student support is hand out sometimes some free swag at games beaver uh marketing does a great job of that and uh i think um student support is the least of oregon state's worries the biggest thing they're trying to fill research stadium because at the end of the day the quicker they fill research stadium folks is the quicker they decide to renovate the west side of Reeser Stadium, which is in pretty bad need of being done sooner than later. I mean, just speaking about this weekend, could you just imagine if the uh, the number one Oregon State baseball well, team was in camp- was on campus as well, you're playing? I mean, man, it would that would be uh, that would be a wild yeah. weekend. So, uh, our last question for the podcast, another one from Fullweiler Twenty Two. Uh, two-part question, how crucial is in-state recruiting this year, and who's the top in-state prospect, in your opinion? 
So I mean, this is a loaded, uh, <laughs> loaded 2018 uh, state of Oregon class. Um, there's eight four stars from Oregon in 2018. I think last year there was four, four or five. Um, really good group. Um, Draco Bynum's going to be on campus this weekend. Um, like I mentioned, Dawson Jaramillo, Chase Coda, um, Talanoa Hufanga, if I pronounce that correctly, I'm the worst at pronouncing names. Yeah. Uh, I think Elijah Winston's a maybe on coming up this weekend. Um, so, I mean, it's really important. I think if you get, I mean, it's, let's see, uh, seven of the eight are uncommitted. Braden uh, Lenzi's uh, committed to Notre Dame. And let me just note, five of these guys are rated inside the top 230 players in the country. I mean, this is some good football in Oregon right now uh, at the high school level. So I think if Oregon State gets one or two of those guys, then it is pretty successful. Um, I mean, we're talking about the biggest programs in the country coming after these guys. So it's not going to be easy for Oregon state or Oregon to lock down any of these guys. Um, so I do think chase Coda is really good looking receiver. I know he just got invited to the opening. Uh, pretty sure he's a Oregon, uh, legacy. So good chance that, uh, he probably ends up at Oregon, but you know, we'll see. He is visiting Oregon state this weekend. So, um, Draco Bynum, his mom played, basketball at Oregon State on scholarship. He told me that he owns probably a thousand Oregon State shirts. Um, I think he was, uh, I think he uh, rounded up that number just a little bit, but um, so if I had to pick one of those guys who thinks going to end up at Oregon State, I think it would be Draco Bynum, who is, uh, I project him as a defensive end, but he also plays some tight end. Uh, But Hufanga, man, I mean, uh, Hufanga, 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 I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) Um, But uh, he he's my favorite of the group. Um, Rivals has him as the highest rated prospect in Oregon. Number one guy, uh, number 135 overall prospect in the country. Um, Oregon state likes him at safety, which I mean, he's such a playmaker. I wouldn't put him at safety. I'd probably have him at receiver just because Oregon state's so loaded at safety. But if he is the best safety prospect of the group, put him there. Um, Well, I guess that really depends on, well, you mentioned Lotus at safety, and then not to mention you also have a young kid named David Morris who's pretty good too that you're still trying to find a home for as a position. Yeah, which I, um, I'm not, I'm not 100% sold at, uh, for him at uh, safety. I still think that the closer you get hit David Morris to the football, the better. That's why I would, um, I, I would prefer um, the Beavs beefing him up, maybe give him a redshirt year and, and playing him at outside linebacker. That's just my Ooh. two cents. But I'd like, I'd like to see David Morris take some snaps at the running back position. The dude was solid at running back for sure. Would, I mean, I'd like to just see him get back there a little bit, maybe even want to run a little bit of Wildcat. Sure. David Morris was actually at scrimmage just last week. I had a chance to talk to him for a couple minutes. Really tremendous young man. And I think, uh, like I said, he's going to be he's going to be a baller. He's oh, going to yeah. be a really good player. Definitely, definitely. So to answer the question, definitely important to get these in-state kids. Um, I would say from the from the big four-star group, I would say if you get one or two, um, then that's that's a pretty pretty good haul for the Beavs. And uh, um, definitely uh, Talanoa is the uh, the best-looking prospect um, in my opinion. But Chase Chase Code is definitely a good-looking guy as well. I mean, just great class overall so uh, that that'll wrap up the edge podcast here at beaversedge.com uh we have uh still an awesome 
promotion going on right now. It's a 30 day free trial. So definitely check that out. We have um, more information about that in the link below the, uh, the podcast uh, in this story. So check that out. Um, check out the Beaver's Edge testimonial page. Um, I can tell you all day why you should subscribe, or you can listen to some uh, be- fellow Beaver fans just like you <laughs> about why you should subscribe to Oregon State. Uh, we've got some really cool dudes that talked about their experience at beaversedge.com, so check that out. The link is below as well. So uh, thank you for listening to the Edge Podcast.